Welcome to the Sports on Point podcast, episode 31. I'm your host, Matthew Smith, joined in the studio as always. Actually joined out of the studio as usual. Right, because Bob Williams usually dials in through Skype. He's a Skyper, that Bob Williams. It's cheaper. Bob Williams, say hello to the people. Hi, Bob Williams. No, to the people. Oh, hi, people from Bob Williams. Yeah, you see yourself every day. I mean, come on. No, I don't. Some some days I just don't open my eyes. And of course, the guy pressing the buttons, Pod Severns. I don't know why I just gave myself a fanfare, but I did. That's fine by me. I Fanfares. blew my own little trumpet. If you can't blow your own horn, you can't expect anybody to blow it for you. I blow my horn all the time. If you pay them good enough, they will blow it. 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today, gentlemen. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. It's been a uh, been a busy week, especially up here in northeastern Ohio, where we all hail the uh, where we all fail. You're, you're, you're gonna, we all fail more like it. Yes, actually, yes, the fans. Yes. We'll talk about this a little later, I'm sure. But the fans, I think, triumph with their uh, representation of Cleveland. On the other hand, the team. Oh boy. Not so much. Yeah. Not so much. So, of course, the topic of uh, overexposure probably this week was LeBron James' long-awaited return to Cleveland. The one that the media would have you believe that every single person in northeastern Ohio had circled on their calendar and uh, was, was you know, uh, sharpening their tools of destruction in their dark basements every night of every week leading up till the Thursday night game last week. Um I had my pitchfork and my torch. But uh, all in all, I'd, I'd, I'd say I agree with you, Bob. The the fans kind of held their composure rather well. There were, uh, uh, as far as I know, no batteries or beer bottles being thrown. Other than that, uh, the city of Cleveland left a uh, little less than satisfied with the result of what happened on the court. I want to ask you, how much of that had to do with the fact that it was a different clientele at this game? If you look at the pricing of the tickets... The floor tickets were going for five grand. An average ticket, I think I heard, was like three hundred bucks. Does it have anything to do with the fact that you know if you're going to spend three hundred dollars to go to a game, you're not going to be a total jackass, get kicked out? Really, this is Northeast Ohio. The tickets to get into the Dog Pounder are quite expensive, or can be expensive. Maybe not that way, but you know, supposedly Cleveland has a negative stigma as a fan base, and I, I don't think the cost of the seats would really change the clientele because we are almost like jilted lovers when it comes to the sports because we love our sports so much that it wouldn't have surprised me if something happened. But I'm so glad and relieved that nothing did, and that Cleveland hopefully from here on out, might be seen in a at least a brighter of a light. I have to admit, I was a little disappointed that I was not able to pick up on all the hysterical laughter that had been promised by the chance sheets that were circulating around. But uh, all in all, the, the fan reaction to LeBron was exactly what you expect. I think it's safe to say that the um, team reaction by the Cleveland Cavaliers was much, much less than we expected. It, it uh, didn't seem like uh, it didn't seem like this team was playing with any of the fire that we expected from them. They didn't come in with the chip on their shoulder that we expected. If anybody had the chip on their shoulder, it was the Miami Heat and really, really taking the Cavs to the woodshed, woodshed this game. Um, 
a lot of lot of talking back and forth between LeBron and his former teammates. The reaction of the team was was absolutely abysmal. Um, I, I I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, I heard some reactions saying that uh, LeBron has now been vindicated. Um, that he left Cleveland because he knew that he was surrounded by a team of quitters. Well, when you're a leader of a team for seven years and that team becomes a team full of quitters, um, isn't it safe to say that they probably had poor leadership? Oh yeah, no, no, no doubt. Uh, we we know of all the uh, rumors, hearsay about how he himself quit in in, in the Boston series. So it, it it's deflating that the. Uh, this team, especially since coming into this season, it was all, they said all the right things. They wanted to get back into the supposed winning culture because it never left. And they just came up so flat after the first five minutes of the game that it's almost ridiculous in a, in a standpoint as a fan that you, you play so decent or so well in all these other games you have this one game which you set yourself up for even if you stay in the game you know yeah you lose by like maybe 8 to 12 points you, you don't get yourself embarrassed that it's a strong showing and people are like oh hey maybe Cleveland wasn't as bad as everyone thought well you're down by I think it was up to maybe 40 close to 40 points in a game you become the laughing stock of the NBA again, just right where we were before LeBron started. If you look at the Cleveland Cavaliers' body of work over the last week, they had a 19-point loss to Boston, followed, of course, by the um, what was it? What was the final? What was the final? Was it a 28-point loss? Yes, 28-point loss to Miami, um, a 129 to 95 loss. To the Minnesota Timberwolves, thirty-four for those who can't count, and, and then of course losing by ten to the Detroit Pistons on their next on the next night. This Cavs team started off the season with a lot, a lot of promise. I don't know what happened. Can somebody explain to me what happened to the team that we saw earlier in the year? They gave up on themselves, plain and simple. Um, with all this media attention about how bad they were, they accepted it. You know, night in and night out, you see certain people trying and other people's not caring. Uh, J.J. Hickson, this is his third year in the NBA. He was supposed to step up, has falling flat on his face most of these games. Uh, and, and, and I guess the biggest thing is, as much as I don't want to admit it because I'm such a detractor of Mike Brown, but this team doesn't know or doesn't understand the word defense anymore. Yeah, which is really weird because that was definitely what they hung their hat on over the last several years. And you really kind of felt like while LeBron was a solid and definitely a quality defender, a guy that uh, a guy that made a lot of defensive plays that a lot, other, a lot of other players didn't make, but at the same time, you saw a solid effort coming across the board. Every single player on that roster was was you know uh, rotating to the ball the way that they needed to. They were playing good help defense. They were crashing the boards. This was a solid, solid defensive team in every aspect, and it just doesn't seem plausible that the loss of one guy would change the defensive intensity to this level <laughs> yeah again i totally agree with that lebron was a good defender but he didn't make the team a good defensive team uh i, I understand if it was a, a defensive center that they missed which Shaq and ilgoski as, as, as good as they were weren't really defensive stalwarts at at this point in their career so it, it is almost 
unfathomable to think that this team has gone a complete 180 in defense uh, as they go on to lose by 20 points to Philadelphia 76ers tonight. And it, it, it's becoming absurd that Byron Scott's going to have to say, hey, look, something's going to have to get changed. We're going to have to start mixing things up. Uh, if, if you take a look at their, their team, uh, j- just from an offensive standpoint, their two best scorers are coming off the bench in Antoine Jamison and uh, Daniel Booby Gibson. Uh, hopefully tonight, uh, after tonight, they, they come back here to, to Cleveland um, that they can work on some stuff, you know, make some changes, try to light a fire under these guys because there's just nothing there. It's almost like they're going through the motions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and both of us are on the record in the beginning of the season saying that uh, this is a team that could win 30 games this year. Um, I I don't necessarily think that that's out of the realm of possibility, but a whole lot's going to have to change as far as mindset in the players on the court. Um, Execution, obviously. uh, I I think there's good coaching going on there. I think Byron Scott is definitely not the problem, Um, aside from the fact that uh, uh, somehow he's unable to motivate these guys to play in a game that he shouldn't even have to motivate them to play in, which just leads me to believe that these guys have given up. It's just like you said. They've they've given up. They've they've heard all the negativity and they bought into it. Um, if you had any thoughts or comments out there in the listening audience about the LeBron return to Cleveland or the free falling nature of the Cleveland Cavaliers right now, make sure you send them to feedback at sportsonpoint.com or give us a call at what's our phone number six four six three nine point that's six four six three nine seven six four six eight. All right. BCS bowl game matchups. Let's talk about what we got and uh, what we expect. Anything interesting? Well, I think we got a lot of what we expected. Um, it, it was kind of interesting because uh, last Friday there was a whole lot of talking heads on the television talking about how, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, Oregon's got a big matchup here with Oregon State this week. South Carolina almost beat Auburn the first time they played them. Let's not go ahead and put these teams in a national championship game. And, uh, you know, when Saturday rolled around, um, all those talking heads, yeah, while they probably had valid points in what they were saying, we watched football all season. We know who the two best teams of the country were. There was no doubt about the fact that the epic matchup between the powerful running offenses and and uh, uh, somewhat suspect defenses of Auburn and Oregon will be matching up in what should be a really, really, really exciting national championship game on January 10th. Um, Ultimately, this game to me is a. It's a. It's a, this is a tough one to pick. I just know that I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna have my popcorn ready, so to speak, and uh, I'll be sitting down excited and ready to watch some uh, some prolific offenses. Yeah, you said it first. Offense, offense, and more offense. Uh, I won't say that the defenses are off- offensive, but <laughs> it, it's it's going to be interesting to see which team can stop each other. Uh, you know, you do have uh, LaMichael James versus Cam Newton, which is a possible Heisman uh, battle. I, I don't know if you can sit down and, and say with without a doubt that one or these uh, one or other of the teams can outright say that, hey, we're going to come out and we're just going to, you know, knock the other team off the field. It might happen, but it seems right now there is no real front runner in this that, that they're evenly matched. 
I have to say, I was a bit surprised with the matchup that we're going to end up with in the Rose Bowl, the uh, Wisconsin-TCU game. The uh, Rose Bowl committee being, of course, the committee that is most deeply entrenched in um, tradition of all the bowl games, uh, very reluctant to do anything to stir the pot, went with uh, a number three TCU team instead of taking a uh, number four Stanford team, which was... You know, the traditional Big Ten versus Pac-10. I was a little surprised by the matchup, but ultimately I think that uh, this game might be more meaningful than any other game aside from the national championship game because we're talking about a team in Wisconsin who is a very, very good football team, very powerful running game, very solid defense, and they're the type of team that we rag on teams like TCU and Boise State because they don't play these teams. So I think this is going to be a big statement game. If TCU can pull off the win, uh, we we will have we might have to tone down our uh, our mid major talks next season. But uh, I think Wisconsin's just got too much for this TCU team. Uh, I'll agree with you with that. Uh, with a three headed monster of white ball and clay, uh, it's it's going to be tough because they're always going to have a fresh running back. But uh, to actually correct what you said, uh, the Rose Bowl wasn't able to pick Stanford because during the uh, AQ or, or the new rule that the uh, um, BCS put into place a few years ago, they have a rotating clock of if there's a non-AQ school that finishes in the top four, uh, a certain bowl gets stuck with the non-AQ team, which unfortunately the Rose Bowl got stuck with TCU because they finished in the uh, top four. With that being said, uh, I don't know if that that mid-major thing is going to matter anymore because TCU is no longer a mid-major with their uh, (laughs) recent acquisition into the uh, Big East. So they're slightly above mid-major. But I I, I just don't think that TCU, as much as they've been heralded for being a defensive team, can stop a, a team with such dynamic runners. And hopefully, you know, we see a game for, for me, who, who is, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm the biggest proponent of some of these teams like a TCU, Utah, or, or Boise State, but, but hopefully Wisconsin shows up and is not let down by the fact that they're not playing a Stanford or another top team and that they, they bring out the, the best that they can in themselves. I actually think this is kind of a worst case scenario for TCU. A lot of times... Like, if you look a couple of years ago when Utah was able to knock off Alabama in the bowl game, Alabama wasn't in the bowl game they wanted to be in. They lost in that heartbreaker SEC championship against Florida that year. They were playing in a bowl game that, that wasn't necessarily what they had their eyes set on, and they pl- went into that game as a team that had already been let down, and I don't think they cared about that bowl game very much. But when you're talking about a team like the Wisconsin Badgers, when you're talking about a Big Ten team playing in the Rose Bowl, that's what they had their eyes set on from the day, from the moment that first kickoff of that first game. So they came in, they reached their goal, they got to the game that they intended to get to at the beginning of the season, and now TCU is on the other side of that field, and they don't care because they made it to their goal, and they're going to go through and do everything they can to win that game. I think if they would have been in a letdown bowl uh, matching up against a team like Wisconsin, then they'd have a much better shot. Uh, we saw with with the Ohio State game, who is probably one of the better defenses that Wisconsin has played, that Scott Tolzien is a, a co- competent quarterback 
who who can throw if if necessary, and he does have some weapons out there with Toon, Gilreath, and uh, their tight end. So, it, not only are they this big, bad, bruising rushing team, they they're just an overall complete offense. And they do have a dynamic defensive player in J.J. Watt who has completely just frustrated everyone this year in, that they faced in the Big Ten. Now, a few years ago um, in the uh, season-ending matchup between the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Michigan Wolverines, uh, Michigan quarterback Chad Henney got injured, and they ended up bringing in a uh, freshman backup by the name of Ryan Mallett. Much to everybody in Columbus, Ohio's joy and and much to their delight because the untested rookie, the untested freshman was coming in and he was going to have to lead Michigan to a victory. And as we all know, that didn't happen. Um, Ryan Mallett's getting a second chance this time with the University of Arkansas matching up against Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl this year. Um, should be an interesting matchup. Uh, Ohio State, of course, famously has has uh, uh, performed very poorly against SEC teams in bowl games, um, I believe winless in all of their matchups against them in the past. Do you think uh, Do you think the Buckeyes got a, sh- got a shot at knocking off this Arkansas team? They do. I, I think this game can go either way. Uh, unfortunately for Ohio State, yeah, they have this history of 0-9 in the bowl games where every single one of those bowl games is in the South, so that's kind of at a, at a fault. But in, in retro or, or in the other side that Arkansas – has not beat a Big Ten team. Uh, I don't know how many games they've actually played, but it, it, it's been a few games where they're also over. So it, it'll be <laughs> interesting. And, something's got to give. Will. Something's got to give. Uh, as long as uh, Ohio State can play fast and aggressive in their defense and they play not to lose, they're going to have a shot to win. Uh, and, and that's going to be the same way as Arkansas. When Arkansas imploded against Alabama when they were up, it was because Mallet threw a few inopportune interceptions. And they do have uh, running back uh, Niles Davis, who has ran for a thousand yards. So these teams really, the, the major difference is going to be on offense, you have more of a dynamic playmaker with Tyrell Pryor being not only a, a pass passer but but a run a runner and with Ryan Mallett you're, you're gonna have to rely on his arm both of them do have the, the capable backs in Dan Heron and and Niall Williams so or Niall Dave Niles Davis hopefully for, for Ohio State um, the receivers can actually catch the ball because the past few weeks they've they've been having some problems with that yeah absolutely um, the one thing I will say is I think Terrell Pryor has shown in the past that when he has a significant amount of time to prepare for opponent, he comes out and he plays a good game. Um, let's not forget that these Ohio State Buckeyes were the last team to knock off the Oregon Ducks, of course, in the bowl game last year where Terrell Pryor had quite the breakout performance, um, doing much better and kind of kind of taking the uh, letting loose with the reins a little bit and having him out there throwing the ball around like you didn't typically see before that. So um, I, I think the history is there that uh, that Pryor tends to do well when he's got time to prepare. And uh, ultimately, I don't feel that uh, – I, you know, there's there's been a lot of Ohio State versus SEC matchups in the past where the teams on the other side of the ball 
just kind of were playing at a different level than just about anybody else in the country. I don't get that feeling with Arkansas. While Arkansas is definitely a good squad, Ryan Mallett has been a really solid quarterback for him for the last several years. I definitely think that Ohio State has not only a shot, but I would uh, I would definitely uh, make them my favorite to win this uh, win this matchup. Of course, another big BCS matchup we got, number four Stanford against Virginia Tech. This one should definitely be interesting. I think that uh, Andrew Luck will be playing his last game in the college ranks. He will be uh, taking snaps on Sundays next year, and and, uh, I suspect quite successfully. Uh, that should prove to be an interesting matchup. The, uh, The other BCS bowl that we've got lined up is... The Fiesta Bowl, the Tostitas Fiesta Bowl, UConn versus Oklahoma. I don't know about you, but I could not be any less excited about that. No, these these two games in, in themselves, just the fact that Virginia Tech won their conference yet lost to a uh, FCS team, and UConn, who has lost four games uh, in the season, one to Michigan, who is a fifth place Big Ten team both of these matchups are just kind of uh yeah a a sleeper almost yeah UConn is of course a team that has not once this entire season even had a single top 25 vote yeah but they won they won the Big East you know this comes back to the whole uh automatic bid uh hopefully here in, in the future we get some sort of semblance of Again, I'm a proponent for the playoff, whether it be a, a four, a six, an eight, even a 12-team playoff. There, there has to be something to where you don't have a team like a, a, a four-loss UConn who, who gets in over even a Boise State or a, a Michigan State or even LSU, uh, you know, another solid two-loss team. So it, it's just kind of strange that, that, that they have this all set up this way for, for the BCS. Yeah, I would venture to say that there are two non-BCS bowl games that, in my opinion, are significantly more interesting than either one of those two games. Of course, being uh, Alabama versus Michigan State. Michigan State a little upset that they got snubbed for a BCS bowl, seeing as how they did not play against Ohio State and they beat Wisconsin, who did beat Ohio State. Somewhat of a valid argument for the Spartans there. Uh, matching up against an Alabama team who will unlikely be, or most likely be disappointed to be playing in the Capital One Bowl. Um, and then, of course, uh, LSU versus Texas A&M should be a good matchup. That's a team that's uh, had a history back from their old uh, SWC days, back before the uh, before the uh, uh, Big Twelve was formed. Yeah, both of those those are good matchups. Uh, hopefully, you know, with with Michigan State or for Alabama in that game, uh, that they do show up, that they're not disappointed. And then with, uh, I'll even throw in uh, Penn State and Florida, especially with both of these teams rated so high. Yeah, they ended up seven and five, but these are two two programs here in the recent past who who have been solid and and who one ups the other person to, to sort of make their season a little bit better than what it could be. Back to the national championship game, of course. Uh, Cam Newton last week rated or ruled by the NCAA as being eligible for play because there was a not significant amount of evidence that said that he was aware of the dealings of his father with the agent and the um, representatives from Mississippi State University. I think that for the NCAA, this is a bit of a self-serving ruling. Um, if, if the NCAA were to look at this situation and rule Cam Newton ineligible, 
um, and 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 take him out of the SEC championship game and and uh, you know essentially ruin Auburn's chance at an SEC title and an you know NCAA title. I think in the end, the NCAA loses out on what they would consider to be some, uh, you know, high-powered bowl matchups in the uh, Oregon-Auburn game. And I think uh, if this was a team like, uh, let's say that uh, Cam Newton ended up signing with Michigan, let's let's swap him with Denard Robinson. And, uh, you know, Michigan was essentially playing for nothing at this point in the season. Um, I, I think the NCAA rules differently. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that. This is this is a preposterous ruling. Uh, I don't I don't understand how you get this. Uh, whether the kid is aware or not, how many times have you sat down and, and even the Reggie Bush case is a big thing where your their family got a house, a car, things of that nature that are so strict that you become all of a sudden so lenient on, on a ruling like this. And, and and I understand why they did it because they have invested in the BCS, and if if they did rule him ineligible, the possibility of them making the national championship game diminishes, and that puts a bowl game of possibly Oregon versus TCU. Do you want to see that? I know the NCAA doesn't. And so that's another that's I, another fair point. Is if there was another team like Stanford or. Well, I, I don't know that they would want to see an Oregon versus Stanford national championship game. I take that back. But let's say Wisconsin was sitting there at number three, and Auburn is eliminated from contention essentially by putting their best player on the bench. Uh, I, I think that changes the ruling as well, just because they they have another matchup that they can fall back on that they like. Uh, in this case, the TCU, that's a terrible matchup. Nobody wants to see that game. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go back to what I was saying all along with this Cam Newton Cam Newton story and even what you said with Reggie Bush. The key difference here is, uh, to, in my mind, that Cecil Newton didn't get the $180,000 that he was asking for. And in the case of Reggie Bush's family, his family members did get it. And ultimately, if the NCAA would have come down and said, look, it's inappropriate for Mr. Newton to be asking for this kind of money, but ultimately, if the teams didn't give it to him, no no infractions were made. I'm okay with that ruling. This ruling, to me, seems bizarre. And I think you're going to see a lot of things, like in the situation with the University of Kentucky basketball program, where they have a young kid by the name of Enos Cantor who is ruled ineligible because his family received improper benefits when he was playing uh, playing basketball with a professional team back in his home country of Turkey. Um, that that he was, you know, trying to follow rules to maintain amateur status, but his parents were leeching extra payments that uh, went above and beyond the cost of living, which is what uh, the NCAA uses to determine, they're now going to take this back to the NCAA and say, look, it was the father who was the one pushing this. It was the father doing this. And all of a sudden, the NCAA has got all these cases and all these things uh, that are going to be appealed and put back on their desk because of this ruling. I think uh, they opened up a can of worms here that I don't think they intended to open. It's almost like a accessory to to a major crime getting away scot-free. Yeah, even even though that hey look I was involved I was an accessory to attempted murder I'm still an accessory, you know, I I don't know if he was aware or if he wasn't but I'm pretty sure if it's your father there might be some 
actual conversation in there. Uh, you know, this is not like a, an uncle or an aunt or, or an extra family member of that nature. It's a guy who's completely involved in his life. It's just weird. I, I, I don't get it. Unfortunately, a lot of these players, I don't really think have the closest role model fathers. And some of these, I'm not saying Cecil Newton's one of these guys, but some of these dads come back into the picture once the, uh, once the son is starting to gain some notoriety. Um, I mean, I know it sounds kind of stupid and cliche, but even look at like a movie like the water boy, that's like the cliche thing is that the, the distant dad that left the mom comes back when the son gets, you know, famous. And I think that on the other side of the coin, from what Matt was saying, they, yes, they have opened a can of worms and there probably will be some cases that are um, appealed or some rulings that are appealed, you know, if there have been, if there's been relative involvement. Um, but at the same time, this is also saying that these are, these are young men. And especially in the case, if they're of, you know, 18 years old or whatever, they're of their own volition, they can make their own decisions, that sort of thing. That ultimately these people, uh, these special people in their lives can, um, help influence them, but ultimately it's their decision. And if these dealings are going on without their knowledge, they could in the same vein, take Cam Newton on his own and whether it's a lie detector test or just, you know, talk to him and say, Hey, just, you know, if they got somebody talking to him that says, were you, did you know that this was going on? And they just as much in my opinion can make a judgment call as to whether or not the kids tell them the truth. And I think if he's given them, some body language and stuff to saying he isn't, maybe you investigate it further, but who knows? They might've had a conversation and just felt that there really was no involvement. I don't know. Well, I think at this point we're going to have to assume that that's what they saw. Um, let us know what you guys think out there. Send us your email feedback at sportsonpoint.com. Let us know what you think about the Cecil Newton, Cam Newton ruling. Is the NCAA out of their mind or are they just making a solid judgment based on the facts that they saw here in this case? Well, this has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please send us your suggestions on how we can improve the show and your comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure you check out the Weekly Rewind. Download it on iTunes, and also check it out on our website, www.sportsonpoint.com. Thanks for listening. We love you out there. And we'll catch you next week, guys.